when you drink every day, it's normal for you to feel like crap all the time and you don't even notice because you always feel like crap. You get used to that and you don't know any other way to be. And I think taking a break or switching it to once a week, you see like, wow, when I drink, this is how I feel. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I am your host, Bet Lucas. I am a mom of six crazy kids, I work as a VP in a fast-paced industry, and I've been on a health journey. But what does living your big, bold life even mean? Living boldly is having the courage to finally listen and do what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. Maybe it's to take back your health, write the book, go for the job, run the race. And I'm here to help you listen to that voice and to remind you to be you boldly, the world needs you. Hello, welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast. I am your host, Bette Lucas. On today's episode, we are talking about alcohol. I think alcohol is truly a bold topic because I think many people are afraid to talk about it, maybe because we fear judgment if we do, and I'm here to try to remove that stigma and truly remind you that I'm not here to judge anyone who enjoys their glass of wine or their dirty martini with extra olives. Actually, really the opposite, because I enjoy them sometimes too. And I just want us to have the knowledge and facts when it comes to alcohol. I want us to accept that if we have too much of it, it will affect our health journey. So if we make a choice to drink, we must understand the side effects and not be in denial of them. And if weight loss is your goal and you are drinking too often or too much, Well, you know what I'm going to say. Weight loss is likely going to stall or not happen at all. Alcohol has other downsides like making you hungrier, less likely to work out, makes intermittent fasting more difficult, and causes inflammation. In December and January, I decided to challenge myself to only drink once a week. Wine was showing up at our dinner table a little bit more consistently in November, as it always seems to do around the holidays. And even though part of me enjoyed it, I knew somewhere inside of me that I didn't want to get in the habit of that, especially being just having a baby and wanting to make sure my health was staying a priority. So I decided to start in December, which can be a hard month to do so because it's the holidays and there's it's much more festive. But in my mind, I thought if I can do December, then January is going to feel much easier. And it did feel hard at first, but as time went on, the easier it became. We stopped buying wine as often. We stopped ordering it as often if we went out to dinner. And I noticed the less I drank, the less I wanted to. I liked how I felt and I liked the results I was seeing. So I'm here to tell you that breaks from alcohol can be really beneficial for your health journey. Whether that break is for a sober October, sober January, or sober any month, or you're doing something similar to me and joining me in a one to two times a week challenge. After 30 days, I guarantee you will feel the difference 
And heck, you may just keep going. You'll notice that a club soda with lime and maybe even a salt rim tastes really good. And maybe, just maybe, we will all be better for drinking just a little bit less. Our guest today, Jillian, vulnerably shares that she had to stop drinking altogether. And that's another part of our discussion today. The point of the discussion, though, is not to tell everyone to stop drinking, but Jillian shares some insights and benefits to taking breaks from alcohol. She also shares how she knew she had to stop drinking altogether. I'm honored to have Jillian be willing to share about her bold journey. And I know no matter where we are with our relationship with alcohol, we will be better for it. Here's Jillian. Hello, Jillian. Welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life podcast. I'm so glad to have you on today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. I've actually been hoping that you'd have me on for a while. Oh, that's what an honor for you to want to be on the show. Well, I have been following your journey and Jillian and I connected through social media and, you know, many of the guests that come on the show, we connect that way. And I've been really inspired by Jillian's sober powered journey. I've been talking a lot with a motivational group I lead on Facebook called Motivate with My Betty Lou. We've been talking a lot about reducing drinking and how we feel better when we do and how it it really does help us in in many areas of our life. And I know your journey is different than mine. And I know your journey, though, may resonate with many of our listeners today. So I'd love for you to share with the listeners a little bit about who is Jillian and a little bit about your journey. And then we'll get started with some of our exciting questions and advice that you want to share with the listeners today. Yeah. um, So I'm from the Boston area. I've always lived here. I am also a scientist during the day. I was a teacher for five years, but then I transitioned about four years ago into lab work. And that's what I do right now. I really love it. I'm married. I have a cat. Pretty normal, standard life. (laughs) And what's your cat's name? I have to know. Her name is Luna. She's actually um, here right now trying to get some food. Our cat passed away this year and I really miss like when you're, it always seems like when you're trying to work or do different things. My cat used to try to walk across my keyboard (laughs) like all the time. And I'm like, ah, Lily, don't do that. And Jillian, do you mind me asking how old are you? I'm 30. You're 30 and you've always lived in Boston. Here you are today. Why are you here today? Well, we are here to talk about alcohol and sobriety, a topic that I think a lot of us would like to learn more about. So Jillian, can you start by telling our listeners today a little bit about your sobriety journey and maybe why you decided to give up drinking? Yeah, so I I didn't start drinking until I was 22, so I was pretty late. I was bullied a lot in school, so I didn't have the opportunity to go to parties. Um, so I guess that protected me. But as soon as I started drinking at 22, it was immediately a problem. So I was already like not able to control myself, having way too much. I was already a member of the the One More Club and. A couple years in, so I I became a daily drinker the following year, but a couple years into my drinking, I recognized that maybe it wasn't such a great 
thing for my life. Um, my tolerance had doubled at that point, and I had some very stressful teaching jobs. So alcohol helped me deal with stress. And I started trying to moderate at that point. So that's most of my story. I tried to moderate for five years, and I really believed that I would be able to figure it out if I just tried the right strategy, had enough practice. So that was my, I guess, excuse for never skipping days because I said, like, I just need to practice moderation. Like, skipping isn't going to benefit me at all. I need to practice. So kind of late into my drinking, the last, like, year, year and a half is when things started to get really bad. I developed anxiety, which is something that I've never struggled with before. And my depression, which is something that I've always struggled with, had escalated into suicidal thoughts. And that prompted me to challenge myself. So I was like, I'm not drinking for 90 days. That's my challenge. I will be cured (laughs) at the end of the 90 days and I can be a moderate drinker. And I did the 90 days. I felt amazing. And then I started drinking again on my 29th birthday. Um, and, you know, I, I messed up already on that night. I didn't stick to my moderation plan. But then I was able to moderate for a couple months. I had two drinks a week, and that was all I wanted. And I really thought, like, wow, 90-day challenge. Like, I cured myself. And mm-hmm. my very first test was a cruise that we went on. And I said, it's a special occasion. I can drink how I want you know, you're supposed to drink every day on vacation. And I intended to come home and go back to moderating and I couldn't. I came home and I was drinking exactly the same way as I was before the 90 days. And then the anxiety came right back. The suicidal thoughts came right back. And I suffered for another couple months. Um, I wasn't sleeping because I would be up all night hating myself and fighting off panic attacks. And then in November 2019, at 5.30 in the morning after not sleeping, I, I just like embraced reality. And I was like, I can't ever drink alcohol and me can never coexist. And I realized like, even if I take 30 years off, I will still drink the same exact way. And that was when I stopped. Wow. And when you had that realization, what feelings kind of came after that? Like, was there kind of a mourning? Was there anxiety thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I've used this as a way to de-stress What kind of thoughts came from that? Or was it very freeing to say, I'm done? So my immediate response was peace. I felt very calm and free, I guess, is is the best word for it. And then, um, you know, I was living my best life for a few months. Like, things were amazing. My my physical health and mental health were constantly improving. And then around like five or six months in, the improvements evened out. And that's when I went through the mourning period. So life was amazing. And then I still couldn't drink. So that was that was probably the hardest part for me was during that time. So I did have to mourn it because it was what I was obsessed with for seven years nonstop. 
You know, I hear a very similar pattern with many things that people are kind of addicted to is it's this period of at first, like the high of, I feel great. This is good. I'm at peace. This mm-hmm. is, you know, I'm, I've made the right choice for me. And then similar, they have a mourning period. It's kind of this morning, I, I miss that food or I miss this thing I did. And it's that realization that it's that it's not going to be back likely for them, that it may never be back. And it's kind of hits you at that moment, but it usually doesn't hit everyone right away. So I find that very interesting. And how did you kind of deal with that? It took me a few months. So us sober people, we call it the pink cloud the nice, happy stage. And then you fall off the pink cloud and you realize like, wow, I still can't drink. And I was pretty sad about it for about three months. I struggled. That was also when the summer started. And when it's nice out, you want to drink. I watched my neighbors drinking rosé on their porch and that was my drink. That was so hard. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So it it took me a while. And then at around nine months sober, I accepted reality again. And I said, well, you can have this amazing life that you currently have, but you can never drink again. Or you can go back to drinking and every wonderful thing that has happened to you will go away. And then I accepted this is my life forever at only 30, and I've been okay ever since. Like, I still feel sad once in a while, but I know, like, what is going on for me. I know it's not an option. You mentioned, you know, you saw immediate health benefits and you felt better. Can you dive a little bit deeper into those and also how your anxiety and depression have been since you've stopped drinking? Yeah. So another part of my story is I was very obsessed with being thin and I always struggled with like extreme bloating. Like I would look like I was six months pregnant every day and I was convinced that I had a health condition and I went to the doctor and I got blood work and I tried all these like supplements and whatever. And when I stopped drinking, all of that bloating completely disappeared. And I like feel so comfortable now, like with my stomach, and I've never felt comfortable with it before. And I did lose weight. I lost 22 pounds over the course of a year. My sleep was one of the biggest improvements. I sleep like a teenager now. (laughs) And I really didn't think that was possible for adults, but I go to sleep and I don't really wake up very much. And then I'm well rested and ready to start the day where before I was sleeping, you know, four to six hours a night because I had to spend a few hours in the middle of the night hating myself. (laughs) So I also don't really get sick at all. Um, Your immune system takes a big hit when you drink. I am way less emotional um, and less dramatic. My life was always filled with drama And I was always like upset about something. Things would easily rile me up. And now I'm just very calm. It's hard to get to me. My skin is really nice. I had dry patches that just would not go away no matter what I did. And now they're gone. And something unexpected that I think people don't connect with alcohol is your period if you are a woman. So 
alcohol, it messes with your hormones specifically, like making estrogen hang around longer. And when I stopped drinking, my period got lighter and less painful. So now I have like really nice periods too. I was having like issues with a high resting heart rate and almost high blood pressure. So like right below what's considered high blood pressure, that's all gone now. I mean, I could go on and on forever, but those are the physical benefits. The mental benefits, my anxiety is gone. It's not something that I struggle with. So there's a small population of people that will get alcohol-induced anxiety or depression. So it's just purely from their substance abuse. And that was my situation. My depression is very manageable now. And I think the biggest benefit for me overall is I actually like who I am. I've never, even before drinking, like I never liked who I was. And it took me a few months. It took about five or six months, but I genuinely like myself and I'm happy with myself. And I think that is the very best benefit that I could get. And you realize how many people walk around every day not liking themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's such a a real struggle. And for you to have that peace, and I hear it, I hear it from you in your voice and all of those health benefits. I mean, that is a long list. And yet the interesting part is that I bet a lot of people each and every day struggle with each of these things, you Mm -hmm. know, sleep, skin, you know, all of these things you mentioned. And yet by you just kind of giving up this one thing that is really hard to do, you got all of that back. So I just, I love that. Being a scientist, being someone who kind of likes to dive into the data, why is it that alcohol can make us feel like it removes our anxiety? Or why uh, why is it when we're stressed, we want it? And yet, does it really truly help us in the long run? So there's a very big connection between alcohol and anxiety. And it's, to my knowledge, the number one reason why people will return to drinking, because they can't handle the massive anxiety that happens when they quit. So What's going on in the brain is we have two main neurotransmitters that influence our brain activity. So one of them is called GABA, and that slows down brain activity. And the other one is glutamate, and that speeds up brain activity. So our brain wants to maintain a balance between these two because if you have too much GABA, you go into a coma. If you have too much glutamate, you have a seizure. So The brain tries to just keep everything very level. But what alcohol does is it interacts with our GABA receptors, so where GABA is binding in the brain, and it causes brain activity to slow down. And that's why we feel calm when we drink. So we're literally being calmed down by alcohol stimulating GABA in the brain. So it's slowing down our brain activity. And when you have anxiety or you have high amounts of stress, that reward is pretty much instant. And that's why people make that connection. And it's a very powerful one. It's so hard to break. So what happens and why some of us get trapped drinking and being anxious and drinking again 
is that I said the brain wants to be balanced. And if alcohol is causing extra GABA, the brain is going to do two things to counteract that. So it reduces the amount of GABA receptors that we have in our brain. So it's harder for GABA to bind and for us to be able to calm ourselves down naturally. And it also increases the amount of glutamate, so our excitatory neurotransmitter. So this is because the brain expects alcohol to be there. So when you remove alcohol or like at three o'clock in the morning when the alcohol wears off, you have less ability to calm yourself because you have a harder time getting GABA to interact the way it should, and you have all this extra glutamate. So now your brain is super excited, and that shows up as anxiety. And then, you know, if you are trying to actually quit drinking, not just like get through the three o'clock in the morning anxiety, this change will It'll be something that you have to struggle with for a few days, the anxiety that comes from that, until your brain realizes like alcohol is not going to be here anymore. We should adjust so we don't have this off-balance situation. And is that kind of the process that you noticed when you were going through kind of giving up alcohol? So my anxiety actually went away immediately. As soon as I stopped drinking, as soon as the um, last bit of alcohol that I had was completely out of my system, I had no more anxiety. But what people who do struggle with it will find is that the first few days are very, very challenging. And those are the days where it might get to be too much and they're like, oh, screw it. And they go have a glass of wine. And then what you do is you completely restart the cycle. So I think that's the hardest is for someone to quit drinking or to try to back off if they already have anxiety because of the way the brain adapts to alcohol. That makes sense to me. And it also makes sense why then it's so hard Mm -hmm. for someone who suffers from anxiety. And if it's been a long day, super stressful, you have a glass of wine, it does, it kind of, you can feel it almost immediately, Mm -hmm. like you said. And you do kind of have that, I don't know, numbing effect is, is the right word, but it does relax you. And you could see why that becomes such a powerful connection for some people. Yeah, and it's a belief. So you know if you have a glass of wine, you will feel better. It's it's factual. And that's why it's so hard to resist and go through that hard stage because you know you can relieve that anxiety immediately if you go to the store. Right. It's like, you know what can solve this and Mm -hmm. I'm going to solve this and this is going to make me feel better. So as you know, I am not someone, I want everyone to do what works for them and their journey and what is best for them. And that's what, you know, living your big, bold life is all about. But what if someone comes to you, Jillian, and says, well, Jillian, you know, I don't believe I have a problem. I do enjoy drinking. I'm not going to give it up completely. What do you think about that? Are breaks good or are you kind of an all or nothing? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the thing that I would ask you is, do you think about your drinking a lot? Do you worry about your drinking? And if the answer is 
yes, then you might be more like me. So my husband is someone that I use as an example constantly because he's a just a totally normal drinker. He has no problem at all. And when I was drinking every day and drinking heavily, he partied with me because he lived with a problem drinker. So he was influenced by me. And then when I stopped, he also backed way off. And it wasn't hard for him. He just did it naturally. And he never thinks about his drinking. He doesn't think like, can I drink today? Oh, I drank yesterday. Like maybe I shouldn't drink two days in a row. How many drinks should I have today? Like, oh, I know I said I wasn't going to drink today, but I kind of want to. Like he doesn't do any of that. And having that kind of set of thoughts, that's the problem. So if that's where you're at or you're Googling, am I an alcoholic quiz? That shows that you might be more like me. And even though I also didn't want to stop drinking, I had to. I love that you have that comparison right in your own home that you can share with people because people are going to look to you for advice on their journey. And that's such a powerful way to say, hey, this is an example of someone who struggles. And this is an example of someone who has quote unquote, a healthy relationship with drinking, Mm -hmm. whether, whether there is one or not, I don't know. But what if someone says, you know, Jillian, I just know that I would be healthier if I drank less. And I know you gave all the examples of things that improved for you, but what is your advice to someone who just says, you know, I think I do have a healthy relationship. I just know that I would be a healthier person if I just drank less. What's some of the science behind that? And I also would love for you to share a little bit on the sleep side too, because a lot of people don't connect their health with sleep. And you and I know that that's extremely important, but they also think that alcohol helps them sleep. Mm -hmm. And just like anxiety, I hear a lot of people say, well, it just helps me fall asleep better. So if you wouldn't mind touching on those things, that would be great. Yeah. So that's another thing that's really hard for people when they quit is they have a belief alcohol helps me sleep. But what alcohol does is it's like going under anesthesia. Like when you have a lot of alcohol, you pass out and your brain just kind of like turns off. You're not sleeping. So even if I was in bed for eight hours, the first few hours don't count to my brain. My brain doesn't consider that as sleep. And what alcohol does besides that is it suppresses REM sleep. So we're not able to really dream. Our brain is not able to like really restore itself. And our sleep pattern is very disrupted. We go like straight into non-REM sleep, so deep sleep. And then as the alcohol wears off, like halfway through the night, we will alter between like light sleep, and awake, (laughs) and light sleep awake. And that's not what your sleep is supposed to be like. So when you quit drinking, you will have like super REM. So your brain tries to make up for what it lost. And that's why people will have dreams that they got drunk. And they'll wake up like, oh my God, did I drink? And you didn't, but you're just in super REM. So you can have very intense dreams very intense nightmares. But once that evens out, you have the best sleep ever and real sleep, not passing out sleep. 
What about someone who wants to take some breaks from alcohol just to help their health? What what does science say about that? And what's your opinion on that? Because I like taking breaks. I mm-hmm. find it really has been really good for my health journey. I I it makes me more aware of, oh, bet you've been snacking a little bit too much because you know alcohol always makes me want to snack more mm-hmm. and it makes me less likely to work out you know even even if i have a couple glasses of wine i am less likely to work out the next day than i would be if i didn't drink and i i recognize that when i'm having the wine but that's why for me breaks are really nice because it's that reminder of that you can that you do feel better the less alcohol you have yeah i think that Breaks for normal drinkers are very, very important. And if you can take a break without it being a super stressful thing or fighting off cravings or like a ton of withdrawal, then you know that you might be a normal drinker. You might be okay. And the break is healthy for you. And even if you didn't abuse alcohol like I did, you will still have a lot of the same benefits. And I would really encourage anyone taking a break, like pay attention to the first few weeks. Like what improves? Do your emotions improve? Your anxiety, your skin, your sleep, bloating. So alcohol connects to so many different things that we're not aware of. And yeah, I fully support breaks. I have a good friend who's I guess she would be like sober curious and she frequently takes breaks and then she will drink a little bit, take another break. And she also incorporates non-alcoholic wine into her lifestyle. And yeah, she's, she's a normal drinker, so that's okay for her. It doesn't like stress her out or, or like cause mental anguish. Like she's fine to do it. So I think everybody should try to take a break like once or twice a year. It's very healthy. Oh, that's really helpful. Yeah. I I like starting my breaks around December, which sounds so weird <laughs> because everyone's like, why December? But I find that it's more challenging to do at that time of year. Yeah. So to me, that's like why I like it. It's like a challenge. But you know, everyone's enjoying their Christmas parties, holiday parties. And here I'm like taking a break. It's, it's an awkward time, I know. But then I feel like a lot of people do sober January. Mm-hmm. And I kind of flow into that. Like January seems like no big deal. Like, hey, I did it through December. I can, you know, January, January is nothing, right? So I think that's really helpful. So Jillian, the other thing that I'd love to get your opinion on and see if you're seeing the same thing. When I interview physicians on this podcast, over and over they say the same thing, that women and men that they see come in and they're drinking wine every single night with their dinner. And they're not just drinking one glass, they're drinking multiple glasses. And I don't say this because I'm perfect or because I don't drink wine or I don't love wine, but I'm noticing this trend where wine sales are out the roof. People are kind of normalizing that having wine and multiple glasses every night is normal and they're not getting drunk. They are, they feel fine, but that is kind of their new normal. What do you think about that? And are you seeing the same? 
Yeah, that's super common. And that was actually my belief growing up. And that was one of the reasons it was so hard for me to stop was because I believed that successful adults, when they are married, they have dinner and they share a bottle of wine. And that's really classy and fancy. And it means like life is great. And I really believed that. And That was so hard to think, like, I'll never share a bottle of wine with my husband. But the problem with that is we're often pouring glasses that are bigger than one standard drink, and the guidelines for women are one standard drink per day or no more than seven a week. And if you're having half a bottle of wine a day, that's way more than the guidelines. And the reason that the guidelines are different for women than they are for men is because it's much easier for women to have negative health consequences from alcohol. So because we have more body fat than men do, we also have less body water. So men really, if they drink one glass, it's diluted in their body where it's not for women. And Women cannot process alcohol as effectively as men can, so it hangs around in the body longer, causing problems. So that's why the guidelines are the way that they are. And if someone is doing that, they probably will experience withdrawal symptoms because even two glasses of wine per day every day, like you you get used to that. So I think for people doing that, I would encourage them to do your challenge, which is the the drink once a week challenge that you post about and see how that feels. And you don't have to drink once a week, you know, for all eternity, but maybe you could drink once a week for, you know, the month of January and the month of June and the month of October. Like maybe you could have designated times where you're just aware of what you're doing. Um, But I do not think that that is a good habit to be in because it can easily escalate to what I was doing. I think your advice there is my favorite today because I really believe that kind of honing in and saying, no, I I drink once a week. That kind of works for me. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that similarly, when I gave up caffeine or when I take breaks from caffeine, all of a sudden you notice its effects on you much more. Mm-hmm. So then what's happened with me on this drinking only once a week challenge is I notice what I feel like the next day that much more. And even though I limit myself to two glasses of wine, that's kind of what I figured out is kind of my sweet spot. If I have three, I kind of feel like crap. If I have two, that's that's better. But the next day, you know, I am slower. I do run, I don't like it. My workout as much, all these things. And then it kind of helps you keep going where you're kind of like, oh, I'm not that excited as, as I was. And it, it's almost like you're just, it's, you're so much more in tune with your health. And I have loved this break. And I think a lot of people are enjoying it because it's not just giving it up completely and they can kind of see, oh, this is this is kind of a healthy approach and this kind of works for me. So I've really, really liked it. And to be honest, I've liked it so much that I want to keep doing it for a while, not saying everyone needs to, but I think drinking only once a week is a really, really good thing. And I, I've seen all of these other benefits as well. And I, um, I know other people will too. And that's why I think I, I try to encourage people 
to do so because talking about drinking isn't easy because people automatically think, at least I, I believe, is that people, I think, oh, well, now every time I have a drink, someone's going to look at me like, oh, well, <laughs> Beth had an episode about, you know, sobriety and here she's over there having wine or, or does Beth have a problem? But you know what? I'm willing and bold enough to talk about it because it is an important topic for so many of us. Yeah, and there's so many people just suffering every single day. And to build off your point earlier, when you drink every day, it's normal for you to feel like crap all the time. And you don't even notice because you always feel like crap. And like for me, at the end of my drinking, I was sharing a bottle of wine with my husband um, Sunday through Thursday. But I would still feel you know, not a hundred percent. And then on the weekends I would feel like extra horrible, but I always had this low level feeling of crappiness and you get used to that and you don't know any other way to be. And I think taking a break or switching it to once a week, you see like, wow, when I drink, this is how I feel. Or when I drink, I want to eat five cookies. When I drink, totally, totally. I sleep till 10. Totally. And maybe 10 cookies. No, just kidding. (laughs) No, but it's so true. Hey, friends. It's Bet. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out, and I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guests. So are social situations hard for you today? I mean, I think that that is what I hear from a lot of people too. And to be honest, I I work in a really social industry and a lot of our social events have drinking. Mm -hmm. And when I have given up or taken breaks from alcohol, those events can be hard. Like that is hard. And I'm such a social person, Jillian. Like I always want to be life of the party. I want to be, you know, that's just a lot of my personality. And I've had to kind of practice how to handle those type of events because it feels a little bit awkward at first. And I've noticed once the more I practice, the easier it is. Mm -hmm. But it it still can be a little awkward. And the good news is I've been pregnant so much (laughs) that that I've had to practice. You know, I (laughs) I love a club soda with lime and a salt rim. And that, you know, I found things that I like and can enjoy instead. But how are social situations for you? I was actually going to ask you the same question because you said that you take breaks in December, which is when everybody wants to party. So it does 
make me feel better that it's also challenging for you. So for me, I have had a lot of people like call me out on it very publicly. Um, like at work happy hours, they'll be like, you're still not drinking? And it draws other people's attention. And it's like, no, I'm not drinking. <laughs> like, why are you so concerned? The way that I handle those situations is I really just don't respond. And I know that sounds really awkward, but the person should feel awkward <laughs> for what they said. So I just look at them and then they will usually fill in the blanks with their own thing like, oh, she must be on a cleanse. And then I just agree. But I do not respond. I do not defend myself. I think that's the worst thing that you can do is, no, but I'm still fun. Like we don't have to defend our choices. And another thing that's hard is, is I feel compelled to leave parties early. Like when you're a sober person, I don't know if you get the same feeling when you're not drinking, but there's a point in every party where people kind of make that switch from like buzzed to kind of drunk. And it's at that point of the night where it stops being fun for me. And I feel like I need to leave right now. And then I leave. So getting used to things like that, like my husband and I have a wedding that we're going to um, in a few months and I haven't done a wedding sober yet. So I'm thinking like, am I going to have that same feeling that I want to leave early? So it's just like navigating what works for you. And in the end, like nobody cares. Like no one cared that I left. I just ditch. I don't even say goodbye. And <laughs> Yeah, they don't even remember. Yeah, they don't care. Honest. They don't care. We we put so much mm -hmm. pressure on ourselves on in that regard. And you're exactly right, Jillian. You're exactly right. Yeah, and that was something very freeing that I realized is like literally no one cares. Like I used to ditch when I was drunk too. <laughs> I would ditch yes. and go like pass out. So now I just ditch for a different reason. But I don't ruin anyone's time. Like nobody cares. They're probably having way more fun that I'm being, you know, more normal and happy and all that. So I think that worrying about social situations that you're going to like bring everybody's time down, I think you absolutely should never worry about that. So let's say I'm your friend, Jillian, mm -hmm. and I know I, I don't let's say we're not close close friends. We're we're social friends, but I don't know you've given up drinking. How would you hope friends handle it? Because sometimes I think we don't know our friends struggle with drinking mm -hmm. and they do, and yet we're not helping them. For instance, let me give an example. Let's say every time I want to see you, I say, Jillian, let's go do happy hour. And I'll do that a lot with a friend. I'll say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Let's go get happy hour. Let's meet up for appetizers. And there's usually you know, a drinking component to that. How would you hope as a friend and, and what, what advice would you give someone like me who is interacting with people that that might have a problem and I don't even know it. And I'm not being a very good friend to them or support to them by inviting them to happy hour. Or does it matter? Am I overthinking? I think that's a really 
good question because most people didn't think that I had a problem. Most people were like shocked when I stopped and tried to pressure me to not stop. So you never really know what somebody is doing at home. Like, especially if you're friends with a woman, women will go out and, you know, we'll seem fun and social and then we'll go home and we will continue to drink by ourselves. And that's why women you know, have such a problem with alcohol right now is because we do it alone and we shame ourselves. So you never know what is happening when somebody is not with you. And I think what helps me the most is people invite me for drinks all the time before quarantine and I'll go. That's fine. But can we eat some food too? (laughs) Um, Right. That helps me. Like, can we meet actually for appetizers? I had a friend once invite me for dinner, but she got a drink and I got a glass of water and then her boyfriend picked her up to go to dinner where she could like actually have fun and drink. So I really just went out for a glass of water. So I think a rule should be like, can we also eat? (laughs) I like that. I think that's really helpful. And I loved your point about we just don't know who's struggling Mm -hmm. and who's not. And sometimes I carry guilt because I feel like I may be encouraging drinking in someone who really it's not helping them because they they may be someone who struggles with it. And I feel like you can live in this naive world mm-hmm. in your in a certain time in your life. And then as you get older, you know, I'm 40 now, my husband's 49. I feel like we start seeing people, it becomes more clear that certain people struggle with it. And for years, we just didn't even know. We just didn't even know. And we look, you look back and you go, gosh, I don't think I was a very good friend to them through that. Like I, I was like, Hey, let's go wine tasting. (laughs) You know, like I, I look back and I, I had all the right intent, but I think that that's really good to be kind of aware of. And I appreciate kind of your idea of, you know, I've tried to not just invite friends just to happy hour now, like, hey, let's go for a walk. Like, mm-hmm. let's offer other opportunities. I like your idea of including food. That's a good one, too. So thank you for your advice on that. Let's say after listening today, they're, they've heard your journey. They're really touched by it. You've kind of made them sober curious. I love that. I had never heard of that before, (laughs) by the way. What's some advice that you would like to give that person who maybe thinks, maybe I do need to stop drinking? What advice would you give to them today? So I would encourage that person to go to therapy. I love therapy. I would also encourage them to Try to take a break and see what happens. Do you have cravings? Do you have withdrawal symptoms? Is it really challenging for you? Are you not able to complete the break? So just see what happens. There's a huge community on both Facebook and Instagram of sober people. And there's a lot of Facebook groups that are private just for sober people and sober curious people. And, you know, you can post your feelings and your thoughts. I was actually a member of those groups, I think, for a full year before I quit. And I used to post, like, I'm still trying to moderate. Like, it's not working, but I know it's going to work. And everyone was so nice to me, even though 
I'm sure they knew <laughs> what was actually going on. So I would say don't be afraid to reach out. Don't keep it to yourself. And just try to take that break. Try to take a week off and just see how you feel. What are some typical withdrawal symptoms? So if someone says, well, I took a break, Jillian, what do you mean by withdrawal? Yeah. So what I experienced was very intense night sweats. My poor husband (laughs) said it lasted for a couple weeks. It was pretty bad. You could also have massive anxiety, headaches, you know, mood changes. I got very angry. Um, my, My emotions were very sensitive and I would just like blow up. For no reason, sometimes you could feel sick, like you could have stomach issues, or so there's a lot of things that could happen. It could even feel like a hangover, maybe. So, if you are having any like physical symptoms, so like headache, night sweats, insomnia, anything like that, super common, then that is withdrawal. And if you're experiencing withdrawal, then that means that your brain is used to alcohol being around. And withdrawal means that it is being kind of shocked out of like, what's going on? Like, why why aren't things normal now? So if you experience withdrawal, keep that in mind. Like you, you have had enough alcohol to have some brain ad- adaptation. Jillian, I think after today's episode, people are going to want to know where they can find out more about your journey. And she has a fabulous podcast that I also want to make sure you share about. So Jillian, how can people connect with you? So my podcast is called Sober Powered. Um, I have a Facebook group that's private, also called Sober Powered. On Instagram, I am also Sober Powered. So if you just search that, you will probably find me. Well, this has been so informative for me. And I just think that no matter where you are in your journey, listeners, I think you could take away something, whether it's, hey, I just, I do need to just take a break, or, hey, I'm kind of sober curious, or, no, I think drinking is really a problem for me and I really need to take some steps to stop. So I just am so grateful for your time today. And, you know, I love to end the interview. You've, you've given us so much wonderful advice, but you know, I love to end the interview with what is your piece of bold advice for our listeners today? I think my best advice that if it's something that you don't want to hear, then it is the advice for you <laughs> is if you think that you might have a problem with drinking, it's because you do. Wow. Let's just noodle on that. If you might have a problem with drinking, you probably do. I really appreciate all your advice and I can't tell you enough. And I hope to have you back again sometime, Jillian. Oh, I would love that. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to write a review and push that subscribe button. I also hope you will come hang out with me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, vetlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you. You.